0: Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see you here. If y'all would, let's stand up and worship
1: together this morning. Your burnings, breathing forgiveness, deep beauty, freedom. Here's where you'll find it, oh, deep beauty, freedom. Yeah, here's where you'll find it.
2: leading us this morning. We are going to begin Advent today, and I'm so excited about that. The word Advent means arrival or the anticipation of the arrival of the King, and uh, I I get so excited at Christmas time. I just love this time of the year, and as we celebrate and as we anticipate, we think about the arrival of of the King. We're going to be lighting our Advent candles, and today we're going to begin with the Hope candle, and the Jones family will be coming to help assist with that, and they'll be reading to you this morning uh, uh, from the book of Malachi, right? That's Malachi, and um, then they will light that pink candle for us. Yeah, sorry, I should give you that.
3: <laughs> okay. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the Way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant, whom or in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day he is coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the lord then the offering of judah in jerusalem will be pleasing to the lord as in the day of old as and as in former years
2: amen Written. 700 years before the arrival of Christ Jesus. And here's, a, here's a, another thing about that. For 400 years, the Bible was silent. But yet they still had that hope in their heart of the arrival of the King. So I hope that that hope is in you this morning. Let's bow together and pray and thank God for these prophecies. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, for your word. And the hope that it gives us, Lord, to know not only did you come, but Lord, you are coming. You are a coming king. You are the Lord of lords, the king of kings. And one day every eye will see you. Lord, our hope is fixed on you, Lord. And I pray if there's one today that doesn't have that hope residing in their heart, Lord, and they aren't certain that when you come, that you will receive them. I pray that today, Lord, that they would put their faith and their hope in you and Lord, that they would be saved from their sins, and Lord, that you would write their name down in the Lamb's book of life, and they will dwell in the house of their God forever with you. Lord, stir within us a desire to worship you, and to give you the glory that's due your name right now, Lord, as we pray to you, and Lord, as we look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
4: We would stand as we continue
1: to worship this morning. Sing in the darkness. And in the darkness we were waiting Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running mercy in your eyes to fulfill To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise a cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake died. Death. And the dead rose from their tents And the angels turned in For the souls of all who come To the Father are restored And the church of Christ was born
0: All right, good morning. Y'all may be seated for just a moment. just want to take this opportunity to welcome you here to Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. Uh, appreciate that song this morning, the King of Kings. Of course, Revelation 17 tells us that Jesus is the Lamb of God and that He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and that He will be victorious uh, in the end. And uh, we worship him today and again it's just great to see you here if you're a guest with us this morning we're especially glad for your presence today uh, as well and again just uh, again if there's any information or prayer requests that you'd like to share with us there's a tab there in your bulletin and you can fill that out and tear that off and uh, place that in the offering plate later on in the service Uh, as well again just always encourage you to read your bulletin and check out the the church website and also keep up with our church emails just as far as events and things that are that are coming up of course we have a lot of things on the calendar uh here during this season in between uh, thanksgiving and christmas and again i hope you'll be able to join us uh at many of those uh for many of those times that we share together during this special time of year and again i'll just uh encourage you to, to worship with us and again stand as you're able and we'll we'll continue now
1: I was a prisoner You get shy on me
4: Farland. I'm one of your deacons here at Merle Grove. So good to see you in the house of the Lord today. Let us pray. Gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for you. Your many blessings, Father. Father God, as we celebrated Thanksgiving this past week, Father, we We thank you again for your bounty. We thank you again for all your gifts. And Father God, help us to be reminded that every day should be a day of thanksgiving to you. So Father, we ask, Lord, that you bless us this day. Thank you for each member here this morning. Those absent from us, Lord, we lift them up to you. Those enjoying the service from afar, Through Wi-Fi, Lord, and other means, we lift them up to you, God, and ask your blessings on them. And, Father, we ask, Lord, as we prepare to take up a portion of what you have blessed us with, we ask, God, that uh, you will use it to further your kingdom and here, in, uh, in our community, and around the world. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you bless the giver and also, Father God, all your provisions that you continue to bestow on us, we ask, Lord, that you, you multiply it, Lord, and help us that we could always remember our loved ones. We lift up our men and women in uniform afar. We lift up uh, those in Israel and uh, in the parts of the world, Lord, who is going through persecution This time, Father God, we thank you for those who have been released. And Father God, look forward to others to be brought home. Father God, watch over your people, God. Bless, keep and protect them, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.
1: Just singing, Lord. Oh. Prince of Peace for.
2: So glad to see you here this morning. Thankful that you have chosen to be a part of our worship today. And joining your hearts together as we look to God's word now. I invite you to open up your Bible with me to Isaiah chapter seven, and you can be finding that. I'll put our, our sermon series in the book of First John uh, on to Wednesday nights from now on. So if you want to hear more in First John, you gotta come on Wednesday night. Amen. So we'll see you then. Um, but today we're going to begin looking at some of the Old Testament prophecies concerning the advent of the Messiah. And Isaiah is one of those. And Paul and Matthew both quote from the book of Isaiah. And here's one of the passages, uh, Romans 15, verse 12. Paul says it again. Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. Now that that prophecy was written seven hundred years before Jesus came. You know, did you know that before, well before you were ever even a thought in your mother and your father's mind? God predicted that you would be here worshiping the Messiah today. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, that, that's wild. I mean, consider... I mean, one author helps us put it into perspective. So consider the state of the world 700 years, 700 long years ago, and what it was like. Europe was firmly in the period known as the Middle Ages. There was little long-distance trade, so most people lived in worked in self-sufficient farming communities. Marco Polo was back in Italy after a 20-of-24-year stay in China. His detailed chronicle of his journey and experiences would inspire Christopher Columbus and other explorers 200 years later. Natural disasters and diseases could be devastating. A series of 14th century famines caused the world's population, to go into a steep decline. The Black Death of 1348 and forty nine killed about one-third of the population of Europe. This is just 700 years ago, okay? In Western Europe, the Roman Catholic Church was the only Christian church, and it had authority over various kings. Church-sanctioned crusades or wars with Muslims that... uh, The Holy Land, in the Holy Land, trying to uh, redeem the Holy Land from Islamic rule, were in their third century. William Wallace, who fought for Scottish independence from England, was captured, taken to London, convicted for treason, and executed. And then 23 years later, Scotland became independent. An Italian surgeon, 700 years ago, oversaw the first dissection of a corpse and wrote the first manual on anatomy. That was founded on practical uh, dissection. The production of paper began in Germany 700 years ago. And the Aztecs founded the city of Tenochtitlan. I've never been there. uh, Where Mexico City would develop one day. Now just imagine someone from that world 700 years ago predicting with absolute precision that Donald J. Trump would become the 45th president of the United States in a time whenever our country didn't even exist. And that would be incredible, right? You'd say, that's amazing that that prediction was made. Well, how much more incredible is it that 700 years before the advent of the Messiah... That His birth, the circumstances of His birth, His life, His death, and His resurrection were predicted with absolute precision by the authors of the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? I mean, we're talking about the location of His birth, the circumstances of His birth, down to minute details, the time frame of His birth, And then everything that he did, when you look at the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, you look at Isaiah's prophecy about that, how could you you think that it's speaking of anything else? It describes in detail the way that the Messiah died. These prophecies are incredible. And so today we're going to begin examining them. Now, In the book of Matthew, and we see the birth narratives in Matthew, uh, as well as Luke, they describe not only the genealogy of Jesus, but how he was born, to whom he came, uh, Joseph and Mary. But one of the things that it highlights is the name that Jesus was given. And so the first quotation of the Old Testament in your New Testament is this particular passage. It's from Isaiah chapter 7. And Matthew says in Matthew one twenty three, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so this is the first quote from the Old Testament in the New Testament. So Matthew reveals that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament prophecies, that you can stack them up. One author says that there's over 300 of them concerning the Messiah. And so as we look now, let's see the context of that Old Testament passage, because I want us to get a good grip on this and understand what the word Emmanuel means. We understand that the translation is God with us. But what does that really mean for God to be with you? Have you ever called out across the house to the the other room to someone, a loved one? I've done this before. I called out. Allison, I'm going to go blah, blah, blah. And then she's like right behind me. She says, why are you yelling? (laughs) They come to find out the whole time she was standing right there. Well, this is what happens to King Ahaz in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 7. He's searching and he's groping in the darkness for hope. And he's shaking like a leaf. And God says, I'm right here. Here I am. That's what it means for God to be with us. I want you to stand with me. Let's read from Isaiah chapter 7. And we're going to see just the first paragraph, so we'll read Isaiah 7, 1 uh, through 2. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, Son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Amaliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook. As the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Now we'll stop right there and let us pray together. Father, in a world that's shaking all around us, we need the hope that you offer. And we need the light of your presence in our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We ask, Lord, that you would add wisdom and understanding to the reading of your word, that you would help us, Lord. Give us insight. Give us obedience to what we understand. Lord, that you'd be with this meek preacher and that you would give me the words to say that would enlighten the hearts of those who hear. Father, that you would receive the glory from what we do here this morning as we examine your word and that it would change us forever and that we would go out more suited and ready to obey you and be a light to those around us. Father, if there's one here today that has never put their hope where it truly belongs, in the person and work of Jesus, our Messiah, that they would do so today. And it's in His name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes we believe that God is somewhere on the other side of the world, the other side of the universe, looking down upon us from a distance. But what we find in the incarnation, and what we find... Revealed to us in scripture is that the Lord is near to each and every one of us. And this is the truth for us that the Lord is near to those who draw to near to him in faith. So if you've come here hoping to enter into the presence of God, guess what's happened this morning? You've entered into the presence of God. If you've come here this morning thinking that you'd rather be somewhere else, you've entered into the presence of God. You can't escape his presence. You can go as high as you want to go. You can't get away from him. You can go as low as you want to go. You'll never get away from him. You can take the, the wings of the morning, is what David said, and travel to the uttermost parts of the sea. And he's there. You can't get away from the Lord. Now, Ahaz, we're going to find out he became one of the most wicked kings that ever sat on the throne in Judah. Now, this is during that divided kingdom period. Where there's a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom has aligned itself with the Syrian kingdom. And they're coming up against Jerusalem. The capital of the southern kingdom of of Judah. And Ahaz was 20 years old whenever he took the throne. And at 20 years of age, Ahaz had a choice. Just like you and I have a choice. Ahaz's choice was, are you going to trust In the almighty God, the king of the universe. Or are you going to put your trust in something else? Are you going to believe in yourself? Are you going to believe in others? Or are you going to believe in almighty God? And that was the decision that he needed to make. And God was right behind him, right beside him. And he was whispering in Ahaz's ear saying, trust me, trust me. And yet Ahaz eventually turned to other things. But when God showed up and his presence was near, what we find out is that God with us means these three realities. Number one, it means his protection around you. When God is near, that means his protection is around you. That nothing can touch you that God does not allow. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, I know you've gone through some bad things. Some of you can testify right now and say, I've been going through some bad things. I've been going through some terrible things a diagnosis, a loss, financial trouble, heartache and hardship, pain in your life, pain right there in the northern sciatic that just won't go away. There was news of trouble. Two kings aligned against Israel, against Judah. And when Ahaz heard of this, at 20 years of age, he began to shake like a leaf. Listen to what they said in verse 6. They said, let us go up against Judah and terrify it, and let us conquer it for ourselves. So what, what do they sound like? They sound like terrorists. They sound a little bit like Hamas today, right? They're going to stand against God's people and and come up against it and take it. And then what do they want to do? They want to put their own king on the throne. Let us set up for ourselves. See, they wanted an alliance to fight against the greater army of Assyria. Let us set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Nobody really knows anything about this guy. But what we can gather and what's implied here is that he would go along with the plan of Syria and and Israel, Ephraim. This wasn't God's plan at all. God had said his king would be on the throne. God had said, this is not going to happen. Listen to the next line, verse 7. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. God made a declaration. God drew a red line. (laughs) And it's not like Barack Obama's red line. Oh, we'll draw a red line. Oh, you pushed that? Okay, we're going to back up a little bit. We'll draw another red line. Oh, wait, let's back up a little bit more and draw another red line. Oh, just forget about the red line. It doesn't matter. When God draws a line, nothing... No enemy can cross that line. If you're in the hand of God, you're in the safest place that you can possibly be. Job chapter 1 verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him? This is what the devil says to, to God. I mean, you think about... One of the most powerful beings in the universe, the devil, not more powerful than the Lord, not even equal to the Lord, but very powerful. And what he says about Job is, I can't touch him because, God, you have put a hedge around him and his house and all he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. And, and, and the devil says, I, I want to get him, but I can't because you won't let me touch him. And I say amen to that. I love this passage. This is one of my favorite ones. Write it on the door of your heart. Psalm 34 and verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. All day, all night, all night, all day, angels watching over me, my Lord. God calmly said to Ahaz, the man who was shaken like a leaf, God said to him, I've got this. Just stop worrying. Have faith in me. God demonstrated his love by protecting Ahaz's life. Even though Ahaz proved himself to be totally unworthy as a king. But the Lord keeps a daily watch on each of his children. Let me tell you this. God has your name and your number. He knows exactly where you are, exactly what you're going through. And he's saying to you, just like he said to Ahaz, he's saying, hey, I've got this. And not only have I got this, I've got you. And you belong to me. Have you heard his voice lately behind you? Saying, hey, I'm right here. That's what it means for God to be with us. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. So if God allows the devil to buffet to come close, he has a purpose in that the testing and the cleansing, the refining or simply just to get your attention and say, hey, Look at me. Here I am. The psalmist says in Psalm 73 verse 28, but for me it is good to be near God. Can you say that today? Now, now for Ahaz... He had a decision to make about this. God was drawing near and Ahaz is ultimately going to run away from God. He's going to try to get away from the Lord and turn to other things. But for you and I, there's a decision to be made. And are we going to decide, is it good to be near God or do you want to run away? For me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. When you drew near to this place today, you probably didn't realize that the Lord was making preparations to draw near to your heart as well. That He's here today. And He's knocking on the door of your heart and He's whispering behind your ear and He's saying, I'm here. Can you agree with the psalmist? It's good. It's good to be near God because it means His protection around you. But... Secondly, it also means his promise over you, his promise over you. Now, look again with me in verse seven and following. It shall not stand. It shall not come to pass for the head of Syria is Damascus and the head of Damascus is resin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be scattered from being a people. Now, this came to pass And the northern tribe fell to the kingdom of Assyria. So the kings that the king of Assyria, Ahaz, the king of Judah, was worried about, the kings of Syria and Ephraim, they all were defeated. And it happened according to the word of the Lord. And then verse 9. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria, the son of Amalia, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The Lord, Lord says to Ahaz, hey, look, bud. If you don't trust in me, you're you're not going to stand. You don't have a foundation. You've got to be firm in the Lord. I I wonder, are you firm in your faith this morning? Are you firm knowing the promises of God? And, And how can you sure up the foundation? How can you do that? Well, the way that you do that is you go to the word of God and you hear of his promises for you, and then you take him at his word. And you say, I know, God, that what you've said back then, you fulfilled. And Lord, what you've said to me, I know that you will fulfill, even if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. That's what the writer of Hebrews says faith is all about. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen yet. You haven't seen it yet, but God said it so you can trust it. Amen. Yeah. How many of you know that God can predict the future? <laughs> 65 years and this is going to happen. 700 years and that will happen. And I don't know how long it will be before the Lord returns, but I can guarantee you this, He will come again. And you will see Him coming. And all the hope that you've ever had in your heart will be fulfilled in that moment whenever you see Him face to face. You know what Ahaz saw instead? He couldn't see past his own nose. And he was shaken in his place and in his mind and what kept him up at night was the terror of his kingdom slipping like sand through his fingers. And he's going to do all kinds of horrible things as a result. God had promised in 2 Samuel 7:16, nine generations before Ahaz, this is what the Lord said. He said to David, he said, your house And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And Ahaz was the great, 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 great grandson of David. But Ahaz wouldn't hold on to those promises. He was in rebellion in his heart against God. And God has said so many things to you. And when you are filled with fear and worry, what are you doing? You're saying, God, I don't believe you. I don't know if I can trust you. When you have that anxious night, worrying about the next day, you're saying, God, I can't trust you. But I've known many of you and I've seen many of you facing what what Other people would consider to be the most difficult day of their lives, and you face it with a smile on your face and you say, It's all right, the Lord's got this. I'm going to be okay no matter what because my God's on the throne and He's got this. Where do you come up with that? Well, you hope in the promises of God. You wake up in the morning and you're filled with His presence. And you hear his voice over you saying, I'm here and I've got this. And guess what? You take him at his word. You know, Ahaz didn't die before he had an heir. That was the promise and provision of God. He gave birth to a son named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah led a reform. And the nation of Judah came back to the Lord for a period of time there. And there was a revival in the land. We've talked about that before. But, but here's the deal. Ahaz wound up in Matthew chapter 1 verse 9 as the, the uh, ancestor of Jesus. He was in the royal lineage of Jesus, even though he didn't deserve any of it. And the only reason he was ever there is because God made a promise and God cannot break his promise. The Lord has made unbreakable promises to you and me. for Those of us who have come to him in faith. Now, here's one of the. The greatest promises that God has ever made. I want you to hear it. Now, this is Romans 10, 8, 9. Many of you know it. What does it say? The Lord is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. Okay. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. Hey. That sounds like a promise, doesn't it? And and as sure and unbreakable as God's promise was to David that he would never cease to have a descendant upon the throne, it's still true today that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, you will be saved. You can stand on the promises of God. Why does God even bother with Ahaz? Such a wicked king. It's because he loved him. At 20 years of age, God knew all of the evil things that Ahaz the king would do, but he still offered him a chance. He offered him hope. God was saying to Ahaz, if you will just trust me, if you'll put your faith in me, Then I'll save you. And the same thing is true for you and me today, that if we just trust him and put our faith in him, he will save us. God has been in relentless pursuit of your soul from the foundation of the world. And that's why Jesus came to the earth. That's why Jesus took up the person of Emmanuel and he became God with us It's to fulfill the promises of God and to save sinners. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It was Jesus's joy and not his dread to go to the cross for you and me. And it was his intention all along. Hebrews 12, verse two, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He did it all for you and me. He became God with us to fulfill the promise of God, to save us from our sins. Luke 19 and verse uh, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so for God to be near means His protection around you and His promise over you. Lastly, it also means His provision before you. That God is providing. I love there's one story in the Old Testament I just can't get over. I just love it. The Bible says that when the children of Israel were about to cross over the Jordan Jordan in Israel into the land of promise, um, the moment that... (laughs) The priest carrying the ark of the covenant, the foot of the priest touched the, the bed of the river. The river dried up. Now, what the Bible tells us is that the water was being piled up, pushed up at, at Adam as a city. It's about 12 miles away. Now, you think about that Israel is downstream. But the provision of God and the protection of God and all of that is coming before them as they go, that God's already got a plan for them. And that God's plan is going to come to fruition the moment that it's time for it to happen. (laughs) That's amazing. Some of you are mad at God because tomorrow's provision hasn't come yet. That's not the way God works. Tomorrow's provision is for tomorrow. But can somebody shout hallelujah and say amen that God's provision is today for me? I have it today. I have everything I need in the Lord today. Now God does promise and God has promised to Ahaz. Listen, this is the sign he tells him. Listen, he says, ask anything. Verse 10, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as you'll. Or as high as heaven. We know Sheol is the, the, the under the earth parts of the earth. It's the, the under the ground, the grave is another translation of the word Sheol. Let it be as deep as that, or let it be as high as heaven. Ask whatever you want. Now, you imagine if, if you had a question and God said, Ask whatever question. It doesn't matter how high it is, or how low it is, I'll answer it. I don't know what you'd ask. I'd probably ask, like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button? I mean, I wouldn't know what to come up with. I'd have no idea what to say to God. But but look at what God's doing. He's opening up. He's saying, open door. I'm here. All you have to do is trust me. Ask me whatever you want to ask me. I'm right here. And what does Ahaz do? Verse 12, but Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz says no. Turns his back on God and says, I can't trust God. What has God ever done for me? He doesn't care about me. You can imagine all these things going through Ahaz's mind. Verse 13. And Isaiah said, here then, O house of David. What's he doing right there? Well, he's reminding Ahaz of who he is and to whom he belongs. He's a descendant of David. He didn't become a king on his own. He became the king because God made a promise to David. And where he stands belongs to the Lord. He says, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? then verse 14, the verse that you all know by heart. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. So you wouldn't ask for a sign, but God's going to give you the sign. And the sign is, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that was a sign that Ahaz had. Ahaz had said to God, no, I'd I'd rather do it my way. And what we find out tragically about Ahaz is that he turned to false hope. In 2 Chronicles 28, so Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. So he went to the king of Assyria and said, hey, these other kings, they're coming up against me. I need your help. And instead of helping him, the king of Assyria hurt him. For Ahaz took a portion from the house of the Lord and the house of the king of the princes and gave tribute to the king of Assyria, but it did not help him. I mean, this is a horrible thing that he did. Imagine this. Now, he's the king in Jerusalem, the king over Judah. And in Jerusalem is the house of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And inside of the house are all kinds of implements of worship that are covered with gold. And some of them are solid gold. And so here's what he does. He takes what belongs to the Lord and what should be kept sacred and holy for God and he begins to break little pieces off of it and send it as tribute to the king of Assyria. Whew! Isn't that horrible? But don't we do that? We take little pieces of our lives that really belong to God. And we break off little pieces and we give it to the devil. And we do it we're sitting in our armchair just like this, right in front of the computer doing that, or driving down the road, or in a quiet conversation. And we're breaking off little pieces of our heart and we're just giving it to the devil. And this is what Ahaz did. Second Chronicles 28 gets worse. <laughs> 22. In the time of his distress, he became yet more faithless to the Lord. See, it didn't get any better whenever he trusted in another king when he should have been trusting in the Lord. And so it got worse. The same king Ahaz, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus. You know, he said Damascus is... The capital of Syria. And he says. I'll just sacrifice to them. That had defeated him. Because the gods of the kings of Syria. Help them. I will sacrifice to them. That they may help me. But they were the ruin of him. And of all of Israel. And Ahaz gathered together. The vessels of the house of God. And cut in pieces. The vessels of the house of God. And he shut up the doors. Of the house of the Lord. And he made himself altars. In every corner of Jerusalem. I mean, he just becomes overrun because he wouldn't put his faith in the God who is this close and he ran after other things instead. And in verse 25, in every city of Judah, he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. And God took away the protection but what I want you to understand is, even though all of this bad stuff happens, God's still keeping His promise. But I'm going to tell you what happened. He wound up sacrificing His own son to Baal in the valley of Hinnom, worshiping these false gods, a false hope. 120,000 of His soldiers died. His son, Messiah and his other son, Azricam, palace commander, and Elkanah, the next in in command, were all three killed by the armies of Israel and Syria. 200,000 men, women, and children were taken hostage from Judah. And none of it ever had to happen if he had just listened to that still, small voice. And obeyed it. You know there's false altars of hope. That you can worship at this Christmas season. At any time of our life. I put a few up here on the screen for you. Just to think about. These false altars. We can trust in man's wisdom. That I'm going to work this thing out on my own. And it will let you down. Man, how many people are running to the altars of materialism and money thinking that if I could get that next iPhone, man, it would make my life happy. What are they at now, like 17 or something? Military might. I mean, putting faith in the government or, or the next president or military might it can all crash, come crashing down just like that. Man-made religion. I mean, spiritualism. And this is what the world is, around us is doing right now. They're taking a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Putting it all together. Calling it spirituality. And bowing at the altar of a God they've created in their own image. That can't save them. If you look at the rest of the passage, it doesn't really get any better for... Ahaz. in verses eighteen and nineteen they'll be occupied by Assyria and Egypt as a result. Verse twenty, the king of Assyria would come and strip the land of everything good. They end up living a impoverished life in the land of Judah. In verse twenty one, they eat curds and honey, which I mean that sounds like it might be good, but that's that's what poor people ate. They were hunting with bows and arrows. Now, to Cody, that sounds amazing. He wants to do that this afternoon, but it's raining. But what it's saying is they're not going to have livestock, and they're going to have to go out and hunt for their food. The vineyards that were worth over $6 million were left as a, as a briar patch, verse 23. The hose will be left in the shed because there's, nothing to, there's no way to garden. The, the ground's too dry. And the sheep and the cattle were left to just roam freely because there was nothing for them to eat. But God had promised that not only would Jerusalem still stand, which it did, against the army of Assyria. But he also promised to send a son. Look at what it says one more time again. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is the hope and God is is re-upping on the hope and he's telling Ahaz, this is going to be the sign. This is where the hope is going to lie. It's going to uh, lie in the provision of God, because I'm going to take everything else away so that you'll understand that what you really need is me. After Hurricane Katrina, the Gulf Coast over in Mississippi was completely decimated. And I remember seeing on a sign as I visited down at the coast. It was a sign at First Baptist Church, Delisle, Mississippi. And it said this, sometimes God has to take everything that you have before you'll realize he is all that you need. God promises he provides, and God did provide. Now, some people will say, well, this is just talking about Hezekiah. Well, here's the thing. Hezekiah was already born, probably, according to most uh, scholars. They say Hezekiah was already two years old whenever this was written. So it can't be about Hezekiah. Well, who's it about? Well, turn the page, your your page in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. You may not even have to turn the page. It may be on the same page. Isaiah says, this is who this will be. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall not be upon Ahaz's shoulders, but upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And how's it going to happen? Well, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Hope absolutely has an aim. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Where is your hope? Challenge for you as we approach the arrival of our king and we celebrate Christmas this year. I want you to examine your heart and see where is my hope? Am I trusting in myself? Am I trusting in others? Or have I put my hope completely upon Jesus? What do you hope for? If you don't hope for the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords to dwell richly in your heart, I want you to to make a shift this morning. I want you to make a decision that will change the outlook of this season for you. That will make it where everything about you, your hope is all fixed on Jesus and his work in you, in your life. His protection. His power and His provision. I I I want you to experience that in a mighty way this Christmas. And I want you to get over yourself. So that you can see God. If you're here today and you're kind of like Ahaz, you've been running from God, but God has been right behind you, don't go down the road of Ahaz because the road of Ahaz led to destruction. The road of Ahaz was not what God wanted for Ahaz. Come to him right now. Repent of your sin and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. If you're willing to do that, I want to lead you in a prayer to do so. So you just... With your head bowed, your eyes closed, you pray this prayer. Mean it with all your heart. The Lord will hear this and He will save you. He'll save you from your sin. He'll save you from yourself. And He'll write your name down in the Lamb's book of life. If you mean it. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So pray this prayer with me. In your hearts. Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I admit that I've done what's wrong and I've failed to do what's right and I deserve the penalty for my sin to be separated from you. But Jesus, I believe that you lived that sinless life that I could never live and that Jesus, you are the provision of God. You died in my place on the cross. I believe that you were raised again and that you're the Lord of all. So Jesus, I place my faith in you and you alone. I pray that you would put your spirit within me and that you'd give me the hope of heaven with you. Forgive me, Jesus. Save me, I pray. Now, if you've prayed that and you believe it, just say this. Say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving You and serving You. In Your name I pray. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand. This is your opportunity. That if you've prayed that prayer privately, now it's time to make it public. And let others know that you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. We want to pray with you. We want to offer you believer's baptism. The sign of what you've done. Asking Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. We also want to offer you a small group to be a part of so that you can grow among other believers. And we want to give you resources so that you can learn more about who Jesus is and what He's done for you. So this is your opportunity to come. It's also your opportunity if you're looking for a church family to love and serve alongside. Myrtle Baptist Church is a wonderful family of faith and we welcome you to join in and have a seat at the table with us as we serve our Lord and Savior. And you can do that today if you'll come. And if you simply need prayer, our altar counselors will be here to pray with you, or you can pray right there in your pew. Whatever the case is, you take this time and be obedient to the Lord. Let's sing together. Seated for a moment. Think about this for just a minute. This Christmas season, you're going to run into a few Ahaz's. You're going to run into, and they look a lot like a, a, a man in a green fuzzy suit, the Grinch. Because they're living without hope in the world, they're grasping in every direction but up. And the hope and the provision and the peace that you have in your heart, they don't know that. But what they need is you. Because you have Jesus in you. And I wonder, can you, as you are reorienting and you understand that he is all you need, you you understand that they're in the same need as well. And they need you to show them. And so whenever you you see the grumps out there, the Ahaz's, love on them like Jesus would. Amen. God bless you.
0: Well, let's pray together and then we'll be dismissed. Father, Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for this time this morning that we've had to worship your name. Lord, we thank you for the season that we're entering right now. God, I pray that you would be blessed by our offering this morning of worship. Lord, I pray that you would go with us throughout the rest of this week. Keep us safe. Bring us back here at the next appointed time to worship you and praise your name. And In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.